Sales Tuners, Episode 102, Gabe Mancayo, Founder and CEO of Always Hired. If I can do a good job of helping people understand their own pitfalls, that's what's going to get them open to considering something new. And that's what gives me the opportunity to bring up my agenda. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Carl Rogers, who said the good life is a process, not a state of being. It is a direction, not a destination. Today on the show, I'm joined by Gabe Mancayo, self-proclaimed corporate fixer turned humanitarian. As founder and CEO of Always Hired, Gabe has spent the last three years developing a training program specifically targeting sales development reps that have no prior tech experience. Their time is spent on sales fundamentals and the psychology that drives action and convincing another human being to do something they want them to do. Having grown up in a family with South American roots, Gabe never went to college and instead got his first job in political fundraising before transitioning into the startup world where he focused on lead generation. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 102. But now let's get to the conversation where Gabe talks about growing up around parents who were well-educated in the human psyche. I grew up in a household where both my parents are PhD psychologists. So at a very early age, um, I was constantly interacting with the human psyche and hearing stories from my parents who would talk about unique solutions to complex human problems. And on the other side of that, I played sports very competitively. The the most exciting thing I've done in my sports career is play against Marshawn Lynch. And what sports taught me um, was that I I love being the captain, but um, the team and the championship comes before the individual's performance. And the combination of this competitive spirit and also just communicating with the human psyche to create solutions to problems people had, these two things positioned me to find success in sales and business development and entrepreneurship. I want to start maybe a little on the personal side. I guess it's business as well. But you know, your LinkedIn description, Gabe, says that uh, for your current role that you have put people or it just says people before profits. Tell me, tell me about that. What does that mean to you? Growing up as a consumer in the United States of America, I quickly learned that corporations were willing to do just about anything for the dollar. And I really appreciate the country we live in. I appreciate the democracy and, and the capitalism um, that we have. I'm obviously taking full advantage of it, but I always felt like you had to make a choice in life. And that choice was you had to either be financially successful and not have morals and have a problem sleeping at night, or you were going to be a good person. You were going to be a person of moral and ethics, but you weren't going to be financially independent. And I just made it my goal in life to have both, to be the type of person that would have financial independence, that could give their family everything it wanted, but also not the type of person that would be on phone calls during vacation, or that would just be rude and not help people. It's funny to me, Gabe, here, this this notion of capitalism and morals and ethics. You know, I, I am a capitalist. Uh, uh, if we if we talked a little bit about politics, I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative. But um, something that has always stood, not actually not always, 
really in the last eight years for me personally, uh, I've started to get this notion that capitalism cannot exist without morals and ethics. And when I look at the state of some of the things that are going on in business and and even startups with uh, you know the, the the funding rounds and whatnot, you're not going to be... Well, actually, I can't say that. You can be successful without it, but true capitalism must have morals and ethics as the foundation of it, or we're all screwed. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting, what's happening, the reason the markets are changing in my... I mean, this is my opinion, right? I'm not an economist. But the reason the markets are changing is because we, we've created this new society of transparency. First, Yelp has created transparency. Then Glassdoor created a new type of transparency. And now it's become so difficult for the corporate company to lie to the consumer. And now consumers are becoming more aware that companies are lying to them. So in order for corporations to remain competitive, they have to have a new strategy, which is the customer first strategy. And it's something that Salesforce has been pioneering now which is, I think their slogan is customer first or something like that. But the, the consumer has become more savvy, which is forcing the seller to become more honest, which is changing the entire landscape of the market. It really is. And it's, it's a fascinating time to be alive if you're awake enough to observe uh, and maybe even take a stand around some of the stuff that's happening. So I appreciate you, you sharing that. Now, you haven't always been the person that you are today. So take me way back, you know, before all this. How did you actually get uh, into sales? I got into sales um, through nonprofit um, fundraising. Um, Politics is always something that was interesting to me. I had to make a choice, and and that choice was I wanted to, to join the workforce. I didn't really believe in the dream that I was being sold through college. So I applied for this political fundraising job. It was part time, evening hours. And it was a cold calling job and I sucked at it at first and happy to go more into it. But that's basically how I got my first sales job. I love that you mentioned the political fundraising both there and, you know, and just talking about uh, how it is psychology, right? It, it's how to uh, convince another human being to do something that they either do or do not want to do. I, I'm interested or, or I guess fascinated might be the better word about your upbringing and having parents that were PhDs. Uh, or a PhD psychologist, you, you mentioned these unique solutions to complex human challenges. What was your childhood like? What were you exposed to? What were some of those conversations? My parents also divorced when I was pretty young. So I think that helped me learn how to communicate to multiple decision makers or influencers within an organization, so to speak. Um, so I think that also that also helped me. Some of the conversations that I would be privy to, um, and it was always, of course, anonymous, but they would say things like, this person's coming to therapy for this reason. They have this problem with their family or they have this problem with their job. And then my, it was typically my mom that would share stories. And I'd say, I'd ask my mom, like, okay, well, what did you do or how does this work? You know, just like, okay, well, what's next? And my mom would say, well, they had all these ideas of reasons they thought the other person was responding negatively. And essentially what my mom had to tell the the client and what she explained to me is that all the reasons this person thought they were offending or bothering the other person, like all the mistakes they thought they were making weren't actually accurate. And it took talking to another person, the therapist for the client, the patient to understand that the reason they weren't getting the outcome they wanted was not because they weren't trying, was not because they didn't care, but because they didn't understand the implications of the communication they were having with the other person. And that's when a kind of light bulb went off for me, that 
people oftentimes try, people oftentimes want, and people oftentimes fail. And if I can do a good job of helping people understand their own shortcomings, if I can do a good job of helping people understand their own pitfalls, that's what's going to get them open to considering something new. And that's what gives me the opportunity to bring up my agenda. And once you get a prospect to have that self-awareness, that's when you can truly start to build a new relationship. Give me an idea, Gabe, of how you tied that directly to that first job as a political fundraiser. If someone's complaining about politics, right? They're saying, I'm doing all these things or all these things are happening and I'm dissatisfied with the outcome. And they're basically just venting. From there, we would say, okay, well, why do you think you're trying so hard, but you're not getting the results that you want? And they would say, well, because, you know, there's other people that are blocking me or they basically blame someone else. And then we'd have to bring it back and I'd have to say, okay, I hear you. But if we're going to spend our entire life blaming other people, do you really think we can make the type of political change we want to for our future children? And with that type of question, people would always get it and they'd bring it back to themselves. Eventually, this person would realize that if we truly want to make change, there's only one person in this world that can create change. And that's ourselves. And once this prospect on the nonprofit call realized that we are the reason we don't like parts of life, we are the reason for the good stuff we do like, we are going to be the reason that we're going to create change, that's when I was able to say, okay, well, now that you recognize this is all up to us, here is something that you can do today to create a change at scale. And that's via supporting our organization. So that's how I would try to connect the dots of self-awareness, with self-doubt, with trying to accomplish a goal, and then transferring that into a very specific task or outcome or item. I'm totally intrigued by this. I uh, there may be there may not be many listeners who uh, have actually done political uh, cold call or fundraising. I have. Uh, it's hard. So everything you just said made a lot of sense once you are engaged into the conversation. You've gotten the the past the hook. But how how did you do? And I know you said in the beginning you weren't that good at it. But how did you actually get past that once the cold call uh, cold call went through? You know they answer. They figure out who you are. They're kind of pissed off. How did you get past that? The easiest way I found to get past people that are pissed off is to ask questions that show them and remind them this is a priority for them. So they'd be like, hey, we were calling after hours. They'd be like, hey, I'm about to sit down for dinner. You're upsetting me. I'm hungry. I just got off work. That was clearly the vibe. And I'd say, hey, I totally hear that. I don't mind if you eat your salad in the background or whatever it is. Um, but I was calling you because I was under the impression that X, Y, and Z is a priority for you and your family. Is that an accurate assumption? And once I can get them to give me a yes on their priorities, it kind of shocks them into reminding them that like, do you really want to blow this call off or do you want to try to accomplish X, whatever your X is? So the way I would start to regain control when someone was giving me attitude is by asking them a question that I knew would get me an answer. That would remind them of the pain that they have or the goal that they're trying to accomplish. That's really, really good. I, I, I just, I'm fascinated by that, like I said, because I have done uh, those political cold calls, and it's interesting. So let's let's kind of uh, tie that now to uh, what you do today, specifically doing SDR uh, training school for your clients, but also for uh, getting people who maybe not have been in tech before into the tech world. What does that uh, curriculum look like? How are you spinning up somebody who's never done this before? Because I think a lot of my listeners, you know, they are. I do have SDRs. I do have uh, BDRs. I have AE. 
employees. They're all doing the roles that you're talking about today. So what, what's your uh, baseline to graduation? What's that look like? The first thing I want to say is that it depends on the market. So there's small business, mid-market, and enterprise. Enterprise is the biggest deal, small businesses, the smallest deals. There's different cold calling rules depending on the market that you're calling. And that's because the buyer, the human being, is very different depending on the market that you're calling. My favorite when going enterprise, when I'm going enterprise, I like the other person to think that I'm an executive, I'm a decision maker, and I'm extremely busy. So enterprise, I go straight for the kill. And I would go, hey, is this Jim? This is Gabe. Or, hey, can I talk to Jim? This is Gabe. And then a pro tip that I like, they're always going to say, yeah, who is this? Or where are you from? And I just like to say, this is Gabriel Moncayo calling for Jim. So typically, I'll ask for your name. I'll lead in with my first name. Almost always, they'll ask me who I'm with. And I'll just answer that instead of with a company. I'll answer that with my full name. And that usually will get me a higher contact rate and a a higher through rate through the gatekeeper. If I'm calling small business, I'm not going to use my first name and be that direct because whoever I'm talking to is going to be hyper emotional and just automatically hang up on me. So when I'm calling small business, I'm going to play a little bit more of a lost puppy is the term that we use. And that's because I'm going to want the people in the business to feel empathy and to try and help me. So when I'm calling small business, instead of being direct, I might say something like, Hey, Jim, I'm not really sure who I should speak to over there. I was kind of hoping you could point me in the right direction. You're going to say like, okay, what can I do for you? Or what do you want? And then from there, I'd say, well, um, I came across your um, podcast online. And it looks like you're starting to get a lot of viewers and audience. But it doesn't seem like you're giving um, people a way to tune in live. And I'm just wondering if you knew that by doing that, you could increase your viewership 30% or something like that. I'm really liking this. I, you know, the, I've always on the enterprise definitely done the same thing. Use my first name only because if I use both immediately, it gives it away that I'm a salesperson. If I use just my first, but you're saying once they ask what company you're with or, or what this is regarding, then just bring in and say, look, it's Jim Brown. I'm calling for Gabe. I, I'm loving that. I, I, I mean, I'm going to take some notes myself. I still make plenty of cold calls. Uh, <laughs> love that. And, and the lost puppy. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's a very similar strategy to what I use to get on the phone. Uh, in that that space as well. Talk to me uh, about uh, email. Uh, What are you seeing today in email? I know GDPR is a a big uh, issue right now and concern for sales environments and all that. But what are you working on from an email perspective? And again, what what I'm intrigued by uh, with you, Gabe, is you're taking people who have never done any kind of tech sales and in within four weeks, getting them ramped up to be a great uh, SDR. So from an email perspective, what are you doing? I've had a couple of sales leaders push back on our email strategy here because we had students... Um, send the cold email campaigns to people. I always judge the success of an email based on data. And we've seen, um, we've seen reply rates as high as 20, 30 plus percent. Wait a minute, um, the reply average, rates? Yeah, our reply rates on average are around 15%. And uh, the way that we're doing that is two things. So one, you have all the standard best practices, like a subject line should typically start with the word you are, or should be referencing something about that. It shouldn't be longer than three to five words. So like blah, 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 the boring stuff of the subject line. We have a very standard email template that's used at Salesforce. Why you, why you now? With a really clean call to action. The biggest thing though that I can give that we've learned and that we're learning, I think, as an industry is that everyone now is using these email tactics. So basically an effective email is an email that no one can tell is coming from a campaign. 
which is really, really hard to do. So some of the things that I've seen to become more effective now are, believe it or not, so like a subject line without an uppercase, lowercase subject lines to make it seem like it's a human. Or even on even purposefully including a typo. I've seen typos in cadences drastically increase the response rate because the other person must assume it's not done by a computer. I'm definitely digging this. You know, a lot of the emails that I send out, uh, I do. I use the uh, a notion of having all lowercase letters because it does make it look like it's coming from a human as opposed to any kind of like automated or generated things. Uh, but so, you know, the, the, the subject line is just part of it. That's what gets the email open. I'm used to seeing 25, 30% open rates, but you're talking about 25 to 30% uh, response rates. So I, I want to hear about the subject, or not the subject, the body copy of the emails. You, you mentioned the... You mentioned the Salesforce, you know, kind of why us, why now, but talk to me about what you're doing. Why, how and on earth are you getting such great response rates? The first thing is it needs to be super short. I mean, half the time these executives are going to be looking at the email on their mobile phone. So is it hyper short? That means when you send me your email for review and I ask you, is this hyper short? You should be able to very, very clearly say yes without hesitation. So to go into some of the specifics, the opening line um, is typically going to be uh, some type of reference to a third party that's shouting out the target. So if I'm emailing Oracle, I'm going to lead with a blog that, that featured Oracle. Or I'm going to lead with a blog that Oracle published saying they're trying to grow their web services revenue. So the first thing you do is you're going to lead with a sentence validating your reason to reach out via third party in that in that same opening line you should also give a personal sentence around why that's something that's important to you or just mention that you also care about that or you know hey oracle reaching out because it looks like you were just on amazon referencing um, how you're looking to grow your amazon your, how you're looking to grow your web services 30 percent i actually just moved to san francisco to pursue a tech career as I realize that online services are the future. And then in my body, so my opener is one to two sentences, my body is gonna be two to four. So in my two to four sentences in the next part of the paragraph, what I'm gonna say is who I've helped, how we've helped them, and what we accomplished. So who I helped, how we helped them, and what we accomplished. So always hired, helped Facebook and LinkedIn migrate their in-person services to a fully digital offering, increasing their stock by 20% year over year. So it's who else I helped, what we did, and how much they helped. Then what I like to end with on that blurb is saying, I believe Oracle can benefit from the same use case. Are you open to validating this concept or are you open to diving deeper into this idea on Tuesday or Thursday? And that last sentence I gave you is its own line. So one to two sentences, two to four, sign off with a one. And the two to four should be name dropping companies you've worked with, what you've done and what they've experienced. And then tell them you think they can benefit from something similar. And then the reason that's effective is because the whole, if they agree to the call, the whole call is about, let's look at your competition. Let's look at what they're doing differently to excel. And let's see if you can um, learn from their success. So it just makes it a really natural conversation. Absolutely. One of the many reasons 
I enjoy having this show, Gabe, is because I am still a practitioner. Uh, I do all the stuff you're talking about on a daily basis. And I get to talk to people who are out there doing it on a daily basis and, and just learning uh, lots of stuff. So I'm taking notes myself. Uh, another thing that I'm interested in, this kind of ties back to your your PhD psychologist uh, parents. I want to understand the, the what versus the why, because you're bringing these new folks in, don't have the tech experience, don't have the sales experience. You're teaching them what to do, but how do you get them to understand and, and really flip the switch in their mind about why they should be doing it? I believe sales is not an art. I believe sales is science. I believe sales is binary. And based on what you say to people, you can start to predict how they're going to respond and what they're going to say in response. So basically, you can line up a series of questions and put together a prediction of answers, and you can start to create a formula. And the same process that a scientist goes through with different variables in a chem lab is the same process a salesperson is going to go through with different variables in a sales lab. I feel like if it's purely data, eventually we're going to be able to train robots to be salespeople. And it's my personal opinion that that's not going to happen. Now, I could be wrong. And, and you know, who knows? But I feel like if we can train people the psychology behind why the data is happening because the words we're saying are invoking certain emotions on the other end, we can create people who can think as opposed to just push buttons. Do you have any, any thoughts there? Yeah, I'm controversial on this topic. To me, brains and computers are the same. I mean, they both have, they both have inputs. They both have outputs. You need to charge them. If you push them too hard, they die. Like the way, the way the universe has created our brain is very similar to the way the human being has created the computer. So I do believe that, you know, when human beings have emotions, it's because of, you know, drugs or endorphins or um, certain things that the brain releases, which means you can control the feelings of people based on trying to control the, the levels of dopamine that are released in their brain based on the topics of the conversation. I honestly believe that we could train robots in essentially a binary way of selling. If X, then Y. If this happens, then Y. Now, how far are we away from that? I would say a very long time. I mean, 20, 30, 40, 50, 50 plus years. But if you really ask me, what do I believe in my heart? I believe sales is binary. But at the end of the day, there's always patterns. And as long as there's patterns, you can optimize and create hypothesis for predicted outcomes. I believe what you're saying. I just think there's a, the other side to it that, yes, it's binary, but there's a reason why it's binary. And we can train, do this, do this, do this, do this all day long. But eventually, like people get bored right? The, the sales reps, the SDRs, they're going to get bored. Like, I don't want to do that again. Like I have a 90% failure rate. I have an 88% failure rate. Like I want to try something different. I want to think. I, I And so if we can train them to look at the data from a, and I, you don't, you don't like that side of it, right? The art side of it, like how can we use different words that have different meanings that can elicit response to see whether or not uh, we can get the response? One of the things you told me before, though, uh, Gabe, is that context matters and to make sure you know why you are applying what you're applying and make sure it's the right environment. So how does that align to the conversation? Yeah. And by the way, on that topic, you know, most people don't agree with me on that topic. And that's OK. Yeah, it's totally and, OK. And I think it's a really, yeah, it's a really good conversation to have. And even, even with the concept of like, you know, changing your word depend that that's still, I think in line, right? I know that if I change my tone, it's going to change your heart rate. And when your heart rate changes, your body is going to change. And when that happens, the words you use are going to be different. So I can create almost like a, a, a chain of command 
from every word, from every action, from every tonality I give you, and I can create a hypothesis of how you're going to internalize that. And by doing that, I'm almost playing chess when you're playing chess. Yeah. Not like you. And see, that's that's the level of conversation I want to have. And maybe it's just because it's my own genuine interest in that. Because again, I, I'm with you on that. I want to know why that word is changing your heart rate. Why my tone change is going to get you to do something else, right? It's that That's my why behind it. Okay, so here's how I see it. I work backwards. Human beings take an action. That action is an outcome. That action or that outcome is typically predetermined through their subconscious. Most things that we do are just our subconscious. The subconscious is created through inputs that are given to us throughout our life. That means to me that I can impact the the subconscious through manipulating the right inputs. To go a step deeper and to answer the question, how I interpret words is gonna be based on my life. And what that means is who's who's in my social circle, who are my colleagues, who are my parents, who are my family. So depending on who you hang out with and their seniority, it's going to trigger different emotions when I use the word junior, depending on if you're someone else in your career. So why do people interpret words differently? Why are people's body bodies reacting differently? It's a, it's a direct correlation of how they're interpreting the psychology of their life, which is the conversations they have with themselves about who they are, and the socio- sociological implications of their life which is not how do they just view themselves, but also how do they view themselves in relation to their peers. And by understanding those two, you'll start to understand the why behind their actions. Now now we're getting to some gold, right? And so I, as I was sitting here listening to your response, I was jotting down some notes, right? So the, going back to our, our, our back and forth uh, conversation there, it would be easy for me to train an SDR to say, go find out who's in his or her social circle, right? That's easy. And then you could say that will let you determine which message you should send, right? That's easy for me to say, and it's easy for them to just do. But until me as the human understands why we're doing that and why that message is going to be different for Gabe because of his upbringing, because of his social circle, I'll never truly understand it. And I may get the great results that you want me to get. That's a great point. But once I get it, once I understand it now, the sky's the limit. I see what you're saying. Yeah, understanding the true why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it just basically boils down to, I mean, it's always people's greed or their, their insecurity. That's really what it boils down to. So you should find out if people are insecure about the topic or, or if they're focused on greed. And that will start to help you understand why this person might care about whatever you're talking about. That is some good stuff. Gabe, I'm going to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners. You don't go either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Gabe, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Let's do it. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I would say um, the support and direct feedback of those I look up to. 
If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Not being so uptight and anxious and instead focusing on meeting with people every day that had already accomplished what I was looking to do. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose. And that's because the, the feeling of losing lasts longer than the feeling of winning. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Question-Based Selling by Thomas Fries. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Gabe's suggestion of question-based selling for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Gabe, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? <sighs> if I had to be really honest with myself, it would be uh, selling always hired and finding uh, someone to settle down with. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Be really clear with what your goal is. And if you are really clear about your goal, never give up and you'll achieve it before you know it. The notion of market conditions changing because we continue to gain more and more transparency was very interesting to me. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, remind prospects of their priorities. When you're talking with a prospect and seem to be slipping or losing ground, it's your responsibility to remind them of why they even had the conversation to begin with. Ask them questions that harken back to the pains they've divulged, the goals they've shared, and try to dig into the emotional side of their brain. Remember, they are the ones that have the problem, not you. Number two, emails should not look automated. With nearly everyone trying to use some sort of automation these days, it's very important to humanize your outreach. By that, I mean you should make it a point that with every email you send, literally no one else should have been able to see that same message. Some of the things Gabe mentioned and that I've also seen work are all lowercase subject lines, super short messages that get right to the point, and any kind of personalization, and yes, even misspellings from time to time. Number three, tailor your words, tone, and body language. How people interpret you is guided by their social environment and background. What you think a word means could be received completely different by someone who grew up in another part of the country. Additionally, tone, the way you say something, can also change the meaning behind the words you say. In some circumstances, it can even change the heart rate or body language of your prospect. These are things to keep an eye on while having conversations to make sure that what you're meaning to do is received how you're expecting it. Whenever possible, you want to err on the side of your prospect. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.SalesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.